Welcome to the podcast, the destination for insightful discussions and interviews on the appreciation, conservation, and husbandry of reptiles with a focus on turtles and tortoises. Now, let's join our team of turtle nerds. That was all CG. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting episode of your favorite nerd podcast, The Turtle Room. Uh, we're, we're excited here to be here without Chris. Sorry for the false advertising for, um, with, with the lead in intro with, with Chris there. He's on a lovely vacation with his lovely family and he won't be here with us tonight. Um, thank you so much for, for your patience with that. Kevin and I are going to try to, uh, carry the load, so to speak today, but we're not concerned at all. We've got a wonderful guest who we've been really, this has been a long time coming, I think. Don't get all modest now. You were talking about how handsome you were before. In July. True. That's <laughs> terrific. I really love that. I, I just love that. Uh, so Jordan Donini, right? Or, or Donini. It's, it's Donini. Oh, Donini. It's, a, it's Italiano. Yeah. <laughs> Donini. Yeah, Did you, you see go. in the lead and also be talking with yeah. I should have gotten that, right? Yeah. I don't know. I always read it. I'm like, it can't really be pronounced another way. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Donini. I didn't know Donini. there was. I didn't know there there were Italians in South Florida that weren't retirees. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of us. <laughs> <laughs> you got some breakaway pants you just rock on the yes, regulars. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Jordan. Happy to um, be here. Really look forward to it. I know not only are you you know an academic, but you're somebody who really has a, a good connection to just the turtle world in general that you're still building on. Um, but you, you, I think you're somebody who kind of gets both sides. Don't let me tell everyone what you are without you actually saying it, but um, somebody who we really respect, Chris Lekowitz is somebody who you know really well. I, I don't mean yeah. to jump into that. Yeah, a lot of these podcasts start with like, Hey, tell me about how you got into turtles and tortoises. <laughs> and we'll get there at sure. some point, but I don't like to I don't like to just lead off with that. So I think, you know, talking about you, who you are, uh, Chris Lekowitz is somebody who's really close to Steve and, and is is a good yeah. friend of, of us at the Turtle Room who we really respect. And he's someone who I think sees both sides too, even yeah. though he's in a position where he should be really focusing on turtles in the wild but he yeah. also sees the benefit of working hand in hand with people who might be interested in in kind of the husbandry side can you speak sure. to that a little bit yeah well first and foremost if you've ever met chris like what you've you've met one of the nicest human beings on the planet probably probably not a more passionate person in terms of uh, turtle conservation out there and yeah and um as i was kind of telling y'all um before we started you know i met chris when i was 14 years old at a uh, working at a pet store in high school. Uh, he had just moved down from, um, from Illinois. Um, and then we encountered each other again at um, a local herb society meeting. And then it was probably maybe a decade until we actually talked together again um, at a, I, I started working at a wildlife clinic um, on Sanibel Island and he works at the Sanibel Captiva Conservation Foundation. We started chatting and he's like, you know, you're still in with the research. We're, we're still doing the same kind of things together and uh, maybe we should work together. And I ended up 
I've been working together with Chris for like the almost last decade now on, on a bunch of different projects. And, and he is just, just awesome in, in terms of the impact he's had on the conservation of Florida turtles. Um, and, and also just in, in general, in terms of, uh, you know, advancing husbandry of, of, of turtles and things like that. He is really, you know, the definition of the best of both worlds. Um, as you were kind of discussing, yeah, he's, he's absolutely awesome. Yeah, that's that's great. I I appreciate that. And thanks for letting me take it in a weird direction first. Yeah, I didn't warn okay. you I was gonna do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna keep you on your toes here. Because yeah. I know you can handle it. <laughs> hey, um, Bring it. Tell me about Florida Southwestern, because it's not a school that I've heard about. It's it's well, it's a smaller school. It's it's gone through a couple of name changes. It's um, you know, they kind of did like this sort of rebranding um with a lot of community colleges in the state of Florida. A lot of them are no longer community colleges, they've been uh turned into state colleges because they offer some like four-year programs and things like that. And I mm -hmm. talk with my hands a lot like a typical Italian. So get ready for that. <laughs> so you're going to see me like dribbling a basketball upside down. There's going to be a lot of it. <laughs> but, but, um, Mining uh, to juggling. Exactly. <laughs> juggling. I, exactly. Um, but yeah, it started off as an Edison Community College, then kind of moved into Edison State College. Um, and then its most recent change has been to Florida Southwestern State. Um, and it's there's uh, several campuses throughout Southwest Florida region, Lee, Charlotte, Collier, um, Hendry Glades County. Um, and they, they kind of serve a, a very diverse uh, student body. And it's just, um, it's, it's fantastic. I actually went here for my two-year degree, my associates, um, when I first started college, when it was still Edison Community College. And now I'm back teaching here, um, which is kind of a nice full circle moment to, to, you know, to kind of give back to the first place that I, uh, I started my academic journey. Um, and it's, I, I couldn't ask for a better department. I couldn't ask for better coworkers. Um, additionally, I mean, they are so gung-ho about me doing research mm -hmm. and support me in so many different ways. They're absolutely um, just, fantastic uh with with the support for my project in terms of uh just being just morally supportive but also financially supportive we've gotten a lot of uh of grant funding directly through internal grants with the school which has been fantastic i love it here yeah that's really cool yeah uh, i see this trend and oh go ahead go ahead Kev. i was just gonna ask uh i, I mean honestly I, I love the fact that you're working at where you were taught you yeah. know i think that giving back is amazing yeah but did they uh, did they reach out to you or do you actively proactively go out towards them so so when i finished graduate school and we can get into that kind of stuff later on of course but um i i moved back to you know hometown with my wife uh naples i got a job at a, a local high school lately high school um and the collier campus for fsw happened to be a block away so i started working there as an adjunct teaching night classes and then a full-time position became available and um i immediately applied for that and because i'd kind of apparently made a good enough impression with with the folks doing my adjuncting they um they really liked what i had they loved my interview um, and they brought me on full time because of uh, apparently uh, everything that I, I brought with me. I mean, obviously, it's going pretty well. So um, it was something that I sought out, but they also were looking for, you know, good, motivated uh, professors to add on to the thing. So it kind of worked out from both sides. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, Anthony, I have one more question if that's cool with you. Well, I mean, I'll forget what I wanted uh, to say uh, by the time I do it. Go ahead. Go that's ahead. fine. <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> You're very prevalent on social media, you know, out there with your students, you know, yeah. doing research for the animals. Uh, how much of your time is spent out there in the field with your students versus like in the classroom? Yeah. So so this is where a lot of people are like, how, how does this happen? And, and it's not I don't mean to tout my own horn here a little bit, uh, but um, FSW is, is predominantly a teaching institution. 
So 60% of what you do here is supposed to be teaching oriented. Whereas at, you know, R1 universities, you predominantly focus on research and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I teach anywhere between six and eight classes a semester, okay. um, which, which is a lot of classes. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of classes. It's because this is a teaching institution. Um, but I am so passionate about research. I've been able to incorporate my research into a course format where students are able to get independent research science credits for doing my research. So we're in the field, depending on season and specific project we're targeting, anywhere from two to three days a week. Um, and I'm teaching four days a week, plus meetings and any things like that. But we're at minimum in the field two to three days a week. Uh, okay, which cool. is, and I mean, that's usually at least a half a day's worth of work each day. So it's a, it's a, lot, of, a lot of activity. We keep busy. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, Do you yeah think it's really cool. The, the the university or or the college, sorry, I don't look for a second. Wait a minute, because <laughs> what are they calling themselves? The semantics here. State college. Uh, do you think that the the college's support of your fieldwork and the research has something to do with that kind of grow or die mentality that we see in like healthcare and academia, where you have to keep doing cool stuff that's going to attract more students and, and that sort of thing. They see it as something that they can kind I, of. I, th I think it's cer there's certainly some aspects, not necessarily the grow or die aspect, but it's attractive to students. Not a lot of community colleges and state colleges offer research experience. I mean, I know we do. And then uh, another huge one is Santa Fe Community College or Santa Fe State College now up in Gainesville with, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Jerry Johnson uh, on the Santa Fe River Turtle Project. He's been working on turtles in the spring. Just so happens to be another turtle project, but huge research um, uh, potential with them up there. But a, lo a lot of, um, of, of state colleges don't necessarily have fully accessible research opportunities. Um, and I think adding active field research and skill building in wildlife research was very um, attractive to, to the college to add to the repertoire and they've been able to use it as a recruitment tool. Absolutely. So, but I don't necessarily think it's like a, you know, grow or die thing. They have so many other really cool programs going on. Um, they've got a nursing program, four-year nursing program. They've got a, um, a four-year dental program, I think. And they've got, uh, a, I believe, a teaching um, certification program here as well. So they've got a lot of other things that kind of have steady income uh but this is just kind of a nice cherry on top to bring in maybe some of those students that would maybe they would go to a four-year college to start getting research experience right away but hey why not go to the, the state college for cheaper and get other experiences but pay half the price mm -hmm. yeah absolutely. but you're still getting the same general experience right. yeah or better i mean but i'm biased right <laughs> There it is. There's, there's that You're allowed to be biased. Well. Oh, yeah. If it has to do with you, you're allowed minutes? to be. 12 exactly. minutes? I know. He's the coolest, right? Oh, I get so excited to, to have people like you on the podcast. Because yeah, I know sure that. Had, say, I'm not sure we had many guests that jump right in and like so like comfortable right off the bat. I, I, t I teach and talk to people all day. Um, yeah. So it's it's really easy for me, and that's and I, I think my dad's watching. That's kind of a gift I get from my dad. My dad's always had the gift of gab, and I think I inherited yeah. that from him. My dad could go up to any stranger and be like, "Hey, how's it going? Want to hear about my day? Want to talk about something? Let's talk." And and I've, I've <laughs> definitely I've definitely acquired that from my dad, and uh, I think it makes me a lot more approachable than than some folks. <laughs> All right, cool. what's your dad so we'll doing? Book the... Tim, we'll book Tim soon that's... for the show. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank you. That's what I was gonna say. What's yeah. he doing like the first yeah. Monday in June? Yeah. <laughs> okay. My dad, right. yeah. My dad is 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 the best. Um, he um That's he really works cool. he works at um um 
shoot, I'm, I'm blanking on the name. It's it's that grocery chain that's associated with Amazon. I'm blanking on it. Whole Foods. Whole Foods. Whole that's Foods. it. Yeah, he's at Whole Foods, and um, yeah, he's he he's just worked hard his whole life, and um, him and my mom have you know provided like just such an awesome opportunity for me to chase my dreams and end up where I'm at. So if you're yeah. watching, don't cry, guys, but thank you so much. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> now, did your parents nurture your like your interest in reptiles at a young age? So so for the longest time, they tried to fight it. They yeah. did because as, as all of us probably know from similar experiences, bringing weird stuff into the house has some drawbacks. So yeah, they fought it for a long time. But then as soon as I kind of got to high school, they're like, okay, this kid's serious about this stuff. Like he really, really loves this stuff. So then they just kind of gave up and I got to bring whatever pets home I wanted. And my entire room was basically a, a vivarium. Um, I, they got me a snake hook for Christmas when I was 14. I still have the <laughs> snake hook. They got me like that classic, um, the, the completely illustrated Atlas to Amphibians and Reptiles and Captivity, that 80s book, the big red one, if anybody's familiar with that. So they, they, they really started nurturing it, especially in high school. They're like, okay, this is actually really seems like he what he wants to do so we'll, we'll we'll nurture it on so um did, did that bite them in the butt a couple of times asked the ball python that was in my house for six months uh, oh, yeah. but um but they were very supportive once it kind of got around to it I, I don't know anyone that has reptiles that haven't had escapes like in their house you know <laughs> yeah. um, yep, i think yep. the, i think the worst for me was like a colony of like a knolls running around our house for a little bit so winter <laughs> that, came and they just that, suddenly disappeared they, they disappeared you know yeah, at, at one point in time, we had like two snakes loose in the house. Um, my mom didn't know because she hated the fact that I had snakes. My dad knew because he was like, "Okay, no, no big deal. If we find them, we'll find them." Um, mm -hmm. We had we had a ball python and a yellow rat snake loose in the house growing up, and uh, the python sh ended up popping up after a cold front came through, just hanging out on a toilet seat one day. Luckily, I was the one using the restroom <laughs> to find it, and then the rat snake <laughs> came up a came up a bathtub dream. <laughs> so, so we got them both back at least. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I, I have to share a story. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to take it in that direction. But my my mother married my stepfather, I want to say like 10 or 11 years ago. And they asked me to speak. But it was it, this was not a big time wedding. They were a little bit older, as you might guess, second marriages for them. So it wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't like they asked me like months in advance and I prepared something really profound, some, some good Mark Twain stuff to drop on everybody. It was, it was quite the the contrary. And I wanted to go a route to say like, you know, this great guy, he, he's at the time I was living at home right after college and trying to figure everything out. And I had like turtles in my childhood bedroom and stuff. It was a total mess. It's not a, it's a very dark time in my life that I don't like to talk about. So I'm embarrassed already. My forehead's getting sweaty, but <laughs> I said something about losing a map turtle in, in the house and he found it like in the bathroom and he was so cool about it. And I like told this story to a group of people and everyone in the audience, I could just remember like being like, like Lee Trevino in happy Gilmore where they're all just like, what is this dude telling the story? This is so bad. Anyway, um, I don't know why I wanted to tell that story, but we, you guys understand, but, yes. um, the people at that wedding didn't really understand. And my <laughs> stock, my stock took a hit that day for sure. Just saying. Sorry, you're making up for it now by talking to school kids, you know, there you go. Doing lessons. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the classes. Okay. They're going to say mean, now. You know, like... you, you know, Jordan Donini, you know, but, uh, a Donini. 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 Yeah, I, I have. 
I have no Italian in me. Yeah. I have Italian dogs. I like Italian scooters. But when it comes yeah. to the genetics, you know, I'm sorry. It's probably a good thing that Chris wasn't here because that would almost be too much Italian heritage in, in one room. It might have gotten pretty uh, pretty crazy. So That's a good point. That's a really good point. Who invited the Irish guy? Exactly. <laughs> I'm like a negative five on the Fitzpatrick scale. Is that an actual unit of measurement? That's the real question. Yeah, it, it is. It is. Yeah, you, but it's like a, you, you know. You know what's weird five. though is I am um so so I, I you know I've got a lot of Italian in me, obviously Danini, but I'm I'm obviously a redhead, and I was born on St. Patrick's Day, so everybody's like, oh yeah, oh you must be Irish. And I was like, I really don't think I have much Irish in me at all. Yeah, now you're with me, buddy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I don't know where I'm at on that Fitzpatrick scale. Yes. Happy belated birthday, then. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. We stopped counting after day. 30. We stopped counting after 30. So Yes, we do. <laughs> oh. yes, I've been 30 like 46 times now, it seems. That's nice. <laughs> seems. So, so it seems. <laughs> so Steve's talking to us. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Um, so I also just want to say thank you because I don't think I touched on this. But like we had a guest. You were lined up for uh, what month is it now? So you were going to come in in May. Next month, and yeah. then we had a guest lined up and then it became apparent that we weren't going to be able to get them. So when did I reach out? Friday night? Yeah, Friday, Friday night. or Saturday night maybe? Yeah, to ask you yeah. <laughs> to, to do this early. Yeah. And you were like, yeah, man, no problem. And I think that's just like – that's you and that's your approach and you're so awesome. You don't have to be as cool as you are. So thank Do you so best. much. No and problem. thank you everyone who had the patience when we were getting yeah. this started a few minutes late. Things just went crazy, but it was, it was part of the, the, you know, behind the scenes stuff and Steve worked his butt off. We, we were commenting on how he's like the bomb squad behind the scenes trying <laughs> to save the world for us and nobody gets to see it. But Jordan is getting a taste of this right now and the taste of his 12 ounce beverage as well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So thank you. I just wanted to give that little bit of a happy uh, to be here disclaimer now. for everyone. Yeah. 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 So uh, we'll also so, see you next month. I'm assuming, right? Yeah. If you we, we, we this is gonna be a two parter. I, I I can eat. If we're talking turtles yeah. or NFL football, I can talk forever. So what, whatever you want to talk about, if you want to do, yeah. Oh, <laughs> challenge my accepted, plan, friend. <laughs> my plan was that we might get a new guests next time, so we'll start fresh. We'll ask the same questions. You know, we'll see what happens. You know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Just make up all kinds of crazy stuff. Be like, why did you get into school and research? You're like, well, uh, and I don't know what to say. It's something ridiculous. <laughs> I'll make a character between now time. and next week. Good idea. Uh, yeah. I think he should be the more Italian version. The, oh. Donini, the Donini version. Donini. Well, uh, started to study a turtle. Uh, hey, so this, this isn't really good for the, for the bag, but uh, Michael wants to know, is Peroni a favorite of any of you Italians here? I don't know. Peroni the beer? I don't even know what that is. Yeah, sorry. I All guess right. I'm not Let me tell you Italian. something, Michael. <laughs> I'll, gentlemen, I'll take this one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let, let the 400-pound Italian answer this one. Uh, so <laughs> It's a lot of beers. <laughs> I made homemade ravioli yesterday, okay? Uh, with a pasta big maker. Like with, big each? Yeah, I made, the, you know, I, I made with the fresh dough and, and everything. And it's like an eight-cheese ravioli. That's That's what I'm dealing with. When I went to Italy to play basketball, they have a Peroni that is like, it's like their Budweiser. It's a brown bottle with a red label and it's Peroni, but it's totally different. What's Peroni here in America is called like Nastro Azzurro 
in um in italy but um that was like my favorite beer i ever had in my life i'm not much of a beer guy i don't love it every once in a while like every six months i really want a beer but um so take it for what it's worth but um yes i like peroni it's my favorite beer especially the italian version the the beer in america that's most like the italian version of peroni is called uh moretti check that out check that out if you so want for italian beer so for any of you watches out there that want to send anthony a nice gift Gifts, send them some Peroni or Moretti. You know, if you're in Italy, let's get it imported for them. Because uh, I think you know, it's you illegal can... to ship beer, but that's okay. Is it? Yeah. Hops are uh, hops are native to certain areas and invasive. <laughs> it could be. It's, 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 hops are I, hops are CITES listed. Yeah, ESA, that. <laughs> man. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. The good stuff is not uh, easy to come by. So I want to bring it back to you clearly, and I'm not the host, but I'm just jumping in. Uh, you work with quite a few different species, yeah. right? With your students. Uh, so I know there's Dimebeck Terrapins. You got Florida box turtles. Uh, Anthony was telling me Bowery as well, three straight box turtles. Yeah, I see it, I see it behind you. Uh, is there one that you spend more time with that you're trying to like do more research on? And why did you choose those three out of like the myriad of like animals that are in yeah. Florida? Yeah, so, so box turtles were kind of an afterthought originally. But we've stumbled upon a site that's become extremely, extremely interesting to work at. And um, and it's turned out to be a really um, just dense site in terms. So um, as, as many of you know, with, with studies, sample size is always king. The more samples you can get, the better. So this site has become very good for getting a good number of turtles for specific studies. So box turtles uh, for about the last year and a half have kind of taken precedence of the study just because number one, finding sites with good box turtle populations in South Florida is a really difficult thing to do. Um, and this place happens to be a place where we can get good numbers. So uh, we've been really putting our energy into that. Um, mm -hmm. And also it's been really great uh, a great spot to kind of teach students how to do things. Um, one of our sites is a very small restricted area, but we've got some box turtles radio tag there and it's kind of like our training ground. So all the students go out to this site to learn how to radio track first. Um, and yeah. it's like, you know, it's, on, it's only a few acres wide, so you can't really lose the turtle. Um, it's mm -hmm. easy to find. And then, then once they get, get good there, then they can move to the big times and go to one of the other bigger sites and, and kind of cut their jip out there. Um, but box turtles have definitely taken precedence. Um, not only because of that, but because we're finding so much damn interesting stuff about them down here. Like, it seems like we learn something new about them every time we're out in the field. It's just absolutely mind boggling. Um, originally terrapins were supposed to kind of be the, uh, the number one apple of my eye and they're, they're still, you know, they're still my favorite turtle. Yeah. Um, but they're so hard to get good samples from down here in terms of size of, of samples. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's pretty intensive trapping efforts to get terrapins down in South Florida. Unlike uh, you lucky folks up there in the Northeast where you walk down a dirt road near a marsh and it's like, oh, there's 200 terrapins nesting today. Sure, sure. But that's, those are northern diamondbacks, you know. Like yeah. in Florida, you have five of the subspecies. You have yeah. a much wider area to find out different animals, you know. Yeah. Uh, yep. So, are you when you do that? Are you primarily focused on macrospolota, or are you going um, down into like the the answer is um, it's kind of uh, we don't, we're not sure yet because we're kind of in an area where they phenotypically exhibit features of of macros and um, uh, also of um, of a rhizophora. Um, so you're in like so, Fort Myers down there. 
I, I don't want to give specific areas away fun, just, yeah, just yeah, because yeah. of, on, uh, of, of poaching issues. But I will say want, we, but... we, we work between Tampa Bay all the way to the Keys. We, I have permits yeah, through yeah. all of those can counties um, th awesome. throughout those areas, and we work throughout all of them. So. Yeah, yeah. You're no, diving back, guys. You're like a bunch of vultures. <laughs> not at all, man. I'm hey, not what, what localities you got going on there, bro? <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm well versed on what's where and where to go, you know. But unfortunately for me, I can't leave Connecticut to get anywhere, yeah. so we're good. But, oh. but yeah, we we, no, we kind of work. Kevin's asking diversity. for a friend. Yeah, no, no, no. He's no, asking no, for no, a friend no. in, Look, in in Asia. I keep a I keep a few suspects. <laughs> yeah. I don't know anybody in Asia to keep stealing my logos and photos, you know. <laughs> uh, no, I keep a few subspecies up here in Connecticut. Um, honestly, my favorite is the northerns, and I can't keep them. Uh, oh, yeah, because they're, they're the native, yeah. Yeah, but I'm a quarter mile from the ocean, so I can just go So you can go see them anyway them. and enjoy them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. I put binoculars yeah. I see 30 in an afternoon. Yeah. Um, you know, but you're right. That is one of the cool things about Florida is the diversity of the, of the phenotypes that are down here in, in, in mm -hmm. the subspecific populations. It's really cool. I think I've only seen technically three subspecies um i've never i've never been on on the east coast side to look for them really for tecesta, so, okay yeah so to get no to and i've not seen anything above florida um okay. except for the gulf coast i worked with uh worked with pileata and te yeah. technically literalis over on the gulf coast be but where i was working with them they um they both um like pheno both phenotypes are present in one meta population in louisiana yeah so we got one like nearly like identical yeah and genetically they are identical so oh so, really okay yeah yeah the genetics basically sync kind of a lot of the subspecific ideas especially yeah. in the gulf coast like across texas louisiana mississippi they're like the same um so yeah, even okay. if they do show those phenotypes genetically they're the same but th without getting too much of a nerd i i never like to just rely on genetics to be the total end-all be-all because i think there is a lot more to it with like life history and and how they look i mean if things look super different there there might be a functional reason for why they look different so there, there yeah. might be something to look into so without well, getting into too much of a, a speciation and taxonomy nerd i'll leave, I'll leave it at that no i mean look i think we should go for it you know <laughs> yeah. like not many guests that we have on do that you know and yeah. like while this is a fun podcast for us to yeah. joke around and whatnot yeah Sometimes it's nice to get into the nitty gritty of things like that. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was recently, I recently picked up a book from my library and the first 120 pages were taxonomy history. And I'm like, I don't need 120 pages of this. You know, I'm going Wikipedia and read it in like a little block, Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I, I was very fascinated by it. You know, it, it really is fascinating. Um, but oftentimes taxonomy turns into such a pissing contest. I mean, I don't know. Sorry. Can we swear a little bit on here? Is that okay? Pissing. Uh, I don't think pissing is a swear. We'll allow that. We'll allow okay, that. Just, just, just check it. Away. Okay. Yeah. It's, yes. it's not currently devoted, you know, it's okay. a family sure. podcast. Sure. Char Charlie Moorcroft is watching and he's, okay. he's sensitive. Um, but yeah, taxonomy, like there's so many arguments uh, across like what, what seems like semi-arbitrary things with, with like, like there's the whole big like indigo snake. Uh, argument going on right now is the Gulf Coast indigo its own species and you've got like one crew at Auburn saying no it's not because of this and you got the crew in Florida that's like actually look at this and there's there's so many arguments and and realistically I mean who cares <laughs> you know <laughs> as long as we're protecting the species that's what I mm -hmm. mostly care about I don't care if we want to slump them or split them as long as we're keeping them protected that's that's my my big big concern <laughs> right right no, can I can I ask a question? I just have to because everything that's happened the past few months in Florida and what's what's 
starting to happen, what's continuing to happen yeah. with with laws around reptiles, sure. specifically diamondbacks as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact like that the way we led in the show, the way that I decided to kind of go against the grain a little bit, go against our own grain and, um, as well. But, you know, talking about how you kind of you're very you're friendly with people on both ends of that yeah. um, animal people on both both ends of that what are your thoughts understanding that just your own opinion even though you're entitled to it can can make people angry yeah um so <laughs> in terms of terrapin specifically or like captive yeah. laws okay because either, the, oh. either okay. the, i mean yeah. i mean so like the, the big one that kind of came about recently was the uh, like the iguana and tegu ban um mm-hmm. i'm like 50 50 on that like Tegus, we have scientific evidence showing they can potentially eat, and they do eat native species. They are cold and thermal tolerant, so they could potentially spread up the peninsula. We know there's populations likely in Georgia, maybe South Carolina now. That's a species that I think should be regulated. Um, I think that that is a species that should be on lists, um, and and I, I'm I'm in favor of of the the some of the sanctions they put on those um, iguanas. Iguanas have been here since when? fifties, um, forties, um, maybe if we got, uh, got on board the, you know, the elimination train, you know, in the seventies, there, there would be, there'd be a, a big, you know, a, a better chance of stopping at this point. They're here in Florida. They're not going to go away unless you undertake massive, uh, eradication efforts and, um, people having iguanas, I don't think is going to make the population any greater or really risk the spread because they're they're not they're not cold tolerant at least the green iguanas aren't, aren't cold tolerant like some of the other species um, so i don't think there's as much of a risk of them spreading through through other areas um kind of the big argument was that was well, you know they may cost infrastructure uh a lot of money um because there was like one incident where maybe one iguana maybe dug a burrow near an old bridge and that caused some some damage but that's just kind of one example and probably i don't know enough about the incident but maybe an example that was exacerbated by an old bridge um so iguanas i I don't really see see at this point unless we're going to take on a full-on you know death squad approach and and eradicate get snipers out there which some places do (laughs) to help keep populations under control um i don't think iguanas necessarily uh needed to be put on the ban list but tegu's all on board for it because of the threat they pose. We know they eat native turtles too, and that's always near and dear mm-hmm. to my heart that they can eat those. So I don't want mm-hmm. that happening. Um, then real yeah. fast, man. They're real fast. Oh my god, yeah. I mean, there there are some people that are really good. I guess at, like private trappers that are excellent at trapping them. Um, and then I know a couple of folks that are doing like um, actual like setting like drift fence traps and, and baited traps, like cat traps and things like that to catch mm-hmm. them. But man, they are. They are an impressive species, and 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 I think it's it's smart to to stop that spread if we can before it, it gets any worse. Yeah, sure. I I saw this documentary on Netflix. I think it was Netflix a while back about tegus, and there was this guy down in Florida that his sole job was trapping tegus so that he can sell them into the pet market overseas. Yep. yep. So he's doing yep. like making money while yep. helping people out. And and I and I I don't know the the law specifically enough, but I think some people may still be able to do out of state sell and stuff like that. Um, and, and I think that might be okay because it, it, it you know, it, it basically uh, encourages going out and getting wild ones and getting them out of the wild, sending them somewhere yeah. else, especially if it's going overseas. Like, I, I, I don't have any issue with that at all. Um, and, I mean, th- there's there's obviously sides of both stories. I know there's a lot of people that their livelihoods, you know, kind of depend on this stuff. So, so them overturning a lot of these, uh, these species uh, on ban lists definitely affected some people. But I think... Um, as as a whole, 
a lot of people do need to realize that, you know, that tegus in particular are a potential problem species and to stop them early is 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 a, the best move. That's my personal opinion. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, as far as terrapins go, um, that that's where it gets really interesting um, because obviously being a, a biologist, conservation is on the forefront of my mind all the time. Um, I think species need to be protected, and I think terrapins should definitely be protected. And I'm in favor of of, of better conservation laws on, on terrapins and the protection. But I'm not sure I fully agree with the blanket ban on diamondback terrapins in the state of Florida. Just because human nature is, when something is banned, what does everybody then want? That animal. The animal. That potentially drives up demand. And that scares yeah. me. Um, you can you can just look at the records and look at the areas in, in the counties that I work in, and, and there's been massive busts um, mm-hmm. with people that were illegally catching box turtles, terrapins, selling them, uh, imp- exporting them over to China. There was a big case that happened uh, last fall, I believe. Um, I think it was like an FWC and U.S. Fish and Wildlife like joint bust of a, of a fella in, in this region. Um, he had thousands of uh of, of turtles um on his on his person um mm-hmm. so and and obviously he was a guy in florida that got it but i think the blanket ban may have a bigger impact on on people in florida but not stop people that are going to come out of town to then start pillaging mm-hmm. the the turtles and and that worries me that the demand will go up um if there's a blanket ban so um but but FWC has been been very um, very good about listening to, to different opinions. Um, I've I've discussed some things with folks about some alternatives, um, and then they have those open um, dialogue meetings a lot of times. Um, that that I do think uh, a lot of the biologists listen to, um, and and are are very receptive of. So I think that's the key is maintaining a dialogue and using science. Um, as we've seen, like a lot of you folks deal with a lot of uh, the Asian turtle species that are effectively, you know, extinct in the wild um, at this point in time. But because there's strong captive breeding efforts for them in captivity, their price has gone down substantially. Like, what is it? Um, is it uh, quang tongues? Yes, that that's like the quang tongue turtles. Um, Look at there's you. A, there's another one that um, oh, I'm, I'm blanking. It's not, not, is it Ambonensis? Maybe it's Ambonensis. Ambonensis, yeah. Of, there's a yeah, lot. No, you're, think, you're thinking of Anamensis, the Vietnamese Anamensis, that, that's what it is. The Vietnamese yeah. pond turtle. Those that's two always go together. The Nevercons yeah. and the yeah. Yeah. yeah, so 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 like those were, you know, for at one point in time, they were fetching thousands of dollars, you know, to get them from the mm-hmm. wild. Now, what are they, like a $20 turtle, $30 turtle? Yeah, Quang like, Tung's 25 to 50, I yeah. see. Yeah, so... so I think that there is a place in captive propagation and captive breeding for a lot of these species, because if, if suddenly a bunch of them are available, I mean, is it worth it to go out into the wild and snatch a bunch of them? No. Probably not. So I, th- I think there, there's definitely a, um, a room for that. And, and some people that at the last uh, meeting uh, brought up the idea, well, look at alligators. Alligators were almost extinct in Florida in the 70s. They opened up alligator farms, captive mm-hmm. breeding controlled collection i'm personally uh would not want any sort of controlled collection on on wild terrapins but 
captive breeding, I think, is, is something that could be a, a very uh, effective conservation tool, um, especially yeah. highly regulated. Um, I'm talking like, you know, pit tag all of the animals, uh, right. photo documentation, mm -hmm. so you know what an individual looks like, so you know exactly the amount of stock that people have. Um, I, I think that could be good. But then it goes back to enforcement. You know, these poor FWC officers, I mean, they're already under, you know, over overstretched and overworked as it is. So enforcing that just adds another tool or another thing they have to do um, in, in an already kind of a stressful situation. So I, I get get where they're coming from with with the enforcement issues. And um, but I'm really hoping that a compromise that can truly benefit the species can can be had. And um, and I'm happy to kind of help, um, you know, broker um, from from both sides, uh, because I, I do see it from both sides. So I, I got a question for you. Uh, yeah. Florida is is rare in the fact that they're one of the few states, native states for terrapins that actually do have a controlled capture right. rate. You know, right. uh, so and correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it's something like, is it one per day, like one every 24 hours, but you can only have like two in your in your one, at yeah, once? It, 100%. Yeah. So they have like a, a free take right now. It's one per person per day, up to two on your person at a time. So if you have a household of four, you could have potentially eight terrapins. Eight. Yeah. Sure. Um, so, so you can have terrapins and I, that's, that's one thing I do support in the, in the new, new changes. They, they're going to ban any collection of wild terrapins Good. directly. Good. I think, I think that's a hundred percent what needs to be happening. In fact, I'm pro an immediate moratorium now because as, even just the chatter about there being a change in the laws, there's a bunch of people like, well, I'm going to go get, get I'm going to go get my two. I got to go yeah. get my two now because you know, I'm not going to be able to have them. The I want to get grandfathered in. So I, I, I really wish a moratorium would go into effect as soon as possible. Um, just, just to prevent that uh, from happening because, you know, if 300 people want their two, I mean, who knows yeah. what kind of damage could happen to, to populations. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, specifically if they're going past the population has a really small range like rhizos mm -hmm. or whatnot. Yeah. So that's a very, yeah. very micro range. Yep. Uh, but, what do you how do you perceive them controlling that like how do i how do i prove that the two that i have were not wild caught you know yeah. it's one thing when they're adult and you can kind of see like that macrocephalic head or that the carapace is really worn yeah. down you know but when it comes to a captive bred animals it's not always the case right yeah see that's that's where the enforcement issue comes comes into play um some people talked about like um like a plastron scanning there's like a technology where you can like scan plastrons with imagery and stuff like that but it's it's that's that's the, the big question is how can we really truly enforce it um i yeah. think a lot of it comes to would, would come down to the fact that and and this is something that i don't know that has worked super well in the past but there's there's got to be some level of self-policing in in captive breeders and things like that like mm -hmm. there, there's there's people that all of us know that you're like oh you know i've got this captive bred turtle but it's a freaking you know rise of forum, you know, from, from, from the keys. And there's, there's no way that's a captive bred mangrove terrapin. Yeah. I mean, there's, there, no there's, there's no way. I mean, there, I mean, there's very few, if any people that have actually successfully bred those just because of the highly intense conditions that they need. Um, so I, I think yep. when people post that kind of stuff that, Hey, I'm selling this, these, these are captive hatched uh, mangrove terrapins. Probably not. Captive, Probably. captive hatch. Yeah, captive hatch yeah. Is, uh, yeah, true. I guess, I guess that's that's a workaround. I mean, I, if you I collect eggs, eggs too. Home, yeah, yeah exactly. You know? so, so, sounds like Turtle Dave Summers, you know, from, <laughs> from, from the Northeast mm -hmm. there. Captive hatched, yeah, because I stole thousands of eggs over over decades. So, yeah. Are you referencing Dave and PA? Yes, that's exactly it. <laughs> Dave and PA, the, the, the world's worst kept secret. I can't believe that guy was able to operate for so long. It's like ship years. them to you in a cereal box. Yeah. For, oh, for wait, wait, actually, listen, 
my first terrapin was from him actually yeah. you know because I, I, I didn't know any better i think he and literally it, facilitated the original like ter- terrapin trade as pets i think he yeah. was the one that everybody who got a terrapin they got him from dave in his wild collection yeah but yeah it it's was tw- it was like 25 bucks it was in a pillowcase yeah. wrapped up like a small pillowcase with yeah. like, duct tape i was like how did this thing even survive the yeah. way here and and how many if that's the one that survived how many didn't survive Oh, of course, yeah. Right, sure. that's that's the, the the terrifying thing. Um, yeah, what were we talking about? We sidetrack. Um, Sorry, man. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's, yeah, so so yeah, like so self policing. I think that's got to be a big aspect. If you see somebody that that's selling something or, or or hawking something that shouldn't be, I think calling people out publicly is a big thing. Um, mm-hmm. Especially if people in the trade, you know, hey, you're 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 giving us all a bad name if you're trying to to sell that animal and yeah. you know like i like we, we we all know like i like to keep stuff um i like I've, I've got my own my own captive critters but i've never been one that likes to put a monetary number on animals mm-hmm. like i love to, to to keep turtles i love to breed turtles but i i've i, I never, never sell one i just i, I don't like to do it. i like to breed them I, i'm a reproductive biologist so i love the whole experience of that um i'm just happy giving them to somebody so they they go to a good home and they can enjoy them the same way so i just i, I guess i don't I have a hard time seeing it from the monetary side. So that's where I, mm-hmm. I don't sympathize as much from a lot of people on the breeders out because, because it's never been, you know, my way in is, is, you know, making money off the animals. So I, I don't sure. really sympathize that much. Um, but I, I definitely sympathize in terms of being able to keep the animals because people like me um, and, and some people I know were probably inspired to pursue conservation pathways because we grew up keeping critters. Um, and and I think that is definitely a, a very viable thing to encourage future conservation is people, some people can keep turtles and that's going to trigger that response to want to protect them. So um, I think that is definitely something that should be considered. Completely agree. You've, you've said so many things that have spoken to me so much, so deeply. Um, I agree. Yeah, that's what I do. That's what I do. Really? Uh, <laughs> you're, you're pulling on my heartstrings over here. Um, I, the self-policing thing, I think, is a great a, a great point. I, mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel like I'm always the, the the really old guy in the room when I talk about the days of like the forums and the days Can before you Facebook. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. uh, you you when it wasn't just about the classifieds, it wasn't yeah. just about what you could get for an animal, and yeah. and if you were full of crap, then somebody would call you out on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and on Facebook everyone will call you out whether you're full of it or not. Yeah. But oh. then it seems sometimes when you are doing shadier things, sometimes you're going to have a bunch of people who sing your praises and a bunch of people who call you. out. I think that's the problem. I think, I think people get called out, but I think it just falls on deaf ears because Facebook is this, this sea of negative. Oh. Yeah. Social media says, in general, it's so toxic. Yeah, these days. Right. Like, and it doesn't matter what you say. Yeah. Somebody's going to disagree. Mm-hmm. Somebody's going to yeah. agree whether you are, Social, you know, exploiting yeah. animals or not. The, the other day, feelings, not facts. Yeah, no, just the other day, um, some, I, I was on a, on a, on a tortoise page on Facebook and someone posted the picture of their sulcata next to a gopher tortoise. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the most terrible things you could ever do. Um, not only because, you know, 
potential, uh, you know, your sulcata uh, interfering with the tortoise. But, you know, gober tortoises are, are, are well-known pathogen reservoirs um, mm -hmm. and they spread mycoplasma. They can spread potentially ronavirus and all sorts of nasty diseases. And that could be spread to and from the animal. So I, I put just a very, not yelling at them, just saying, hey, you want to probably separate those animals, make sure they don't come in contact with each other so that they don't pass pathogens. And then like three or four people were like, what a party pooper. I mean, yeah. just ignore the negative comments. I'm like, right. <laughs> I don't know what's negative about wanting your tortoise and the wild tortoise to survive. And also, you know, I mean, the last thing they need is, 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 is people saying, Oh, Hey, sulcatas can transmit disease to wild gober tortoises. Guess who's going to the ban list <laughs> next. Right. right. So, yeah. I mean, that's how you prevent that stuff from happening is being responsible and preventing that kind of stuff from, from occurring. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> That's such a good point. And it, yeah. honestly, to be honest, as, as encouraging as it is to, to speak with somebody who, who gets it, yeah. it's so entirely draining and defeating and it's just yeah. horrible. Steve is blowing his nose in, in <laughs> our ears right now. This is the greatest thing ever. Uh, Welcome to the Booger <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> At least the guests can't hear it. That's all that oh, matters. Goodness gracious. Well, it was only the second time it happened. That's why I had to say it. Um, yeah. But but yeah, that's that's just totally um thanks for being such a such a downer. Thanks yeah. for bringing the whole mood down. I appreciate it. But it's true though. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's it's I I forever referred to myself as a hopeless optimist. It was me. I was I was so optimistic, I had no chance in life. I was just floating around, love life, love the sound of the birds chirping, the smells of of the world around me. Everything made me happy. And even if it was gross or or sad, I could find the beauty in it and the silver lining or whatever. Being a turtle person through my adult life has turned me into such a negative version of myself because it makes you a realist and it makes you see. Yeah. And I think that's the difficulty too, because you're you're working with people who like ignorance is bliss. They're coming in, they're excited. And you have to be like the the um, I don't know the the source of of reality for them, the dose of reality to say no. Like, yeah, we all love turtles. We all grew up loving turtles. But here's the real situation that they're faced with. Here's here's the stupidity that they face in the world. And yep. and it's almost like, what is that like? Can you tell me what that experience is like a little bit? I, I, mean, I mean, I'm sure they listen. They're interested, yeah. right? It's why they're in the program. But yes. So so. I've had nothing but really great experience with, with like my students coming into the program, which, which I don't know that a lot of people can say. I don't know if that's because I've been very selective with the students that I've, I've sort of recruited or if I've just been very lucky. But all of my students have been absolutely awesome. They hit the ground running. They're motivated. And they realize, you know, the opportunity that they've been given. And they take it very seriously. They they're not out there posting, you know, images that could reveal what we're working on social media. I mean, they're allowed to post some images of them doing the work and stuff like that. That's that's totally fine. But you know, they've all got like their GPS turned off, so there, there's no chance to trace images back to where mm -hmm. we're at. And and you know, it, it it is a little heartbreaking sometimes when I gotta I gotta break you know the the scenarios about some of the stuff that's going on. It's like you know like you know we're working here, but in ten years, if development happens, this population that we've been working so hard on, they could be gone. Um, so. So, so it is, it is a little bit of bummer to be the realist, but I mean, these students, they're, they're the future. Um, they're the ones that are going to be advocating for these animals in the future. They're the ones that are going to be hitting the ground running, um, in, in the next year. So, so I, I take my job very seriously with that. And, and I'm very, very, uh, fortunate to have students that really are passionate and, and uh, are sharing my passion uh, for what we're doing. Jordan, how long have you been teaching this for? 
uh, this would be almost my second year. Okay. Yep. Yeah, almost, so almost second year. Okay, so, all right, so have you had former students, like, reach back out and was like, hey, I want to keep this going past school. What can I do to kind of get in with you? Yeah, so so one of my students, um, actually, who um, he's he's I think he's got one more class, but he 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 ran out of taking all of his credits for this course. Um, mm-hmm. He's like, hey, I really want to keep working with you. I really want to keep working with you. So we put it we put a grant proposal together internally, and we got him hired on as a tech for like the last six nice. months. So he's working part time, um, tracking turtles. Uh, Adrian, if you're watching, we appreciate you, buddy. Um, he's <laughs> he's great. Um, That's so cool. Yeah, he he's he's awesome. Um, and and. And he's such a turtle nerd uh, that he's like, hey, I, I know my, my uh, stipend runs out like in June, but can I keep volunteering through the rest of the summer before <laughs> I start, you know, going on to the next school? It's like, well, of, of course, I can't just say no. He's He's been awesome. Um, but we, Is it yeah, Adrian Ventura? Not Adrian Ventura. Not Adrian Ventura. Oh, that is Adrian. I think that's like his name. His, his full name's Adrian Rodriguez, but that must be him, Adrian Ventura. Yeah, that must be him. He's, he's watching yeah. right now. He said, you awesome. are the GOAT. <laughs> Appreciate that, buddy. <laughs> Professor Donini, the goat. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's great kid. Donini. Yeah, yeah, what, 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 watch, watch for his name in the future. He's he's going to be a good one. Um, That's so awesome. Whether it's turtles him. or other wildlife, he's awesome. Him him and one of my other students, uh, Jackie Drew, they're they're working on writing their first paper uh, this week. They they they've been going 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 ham on some box turtle literature. So they've been doing a great job. Awesome. Now, now are you primarily doing Bowery? Yep, all all Bowery. Yeah, we're sticking the peninsula. Bowery. We're not going anywhere near the Panhandle, so it's all all Bowery. Um, okay. we're we're, awesome. we're Florida box turtle specifics down here. Now, how how far down? You may not know this, but how far down do majors go? Majors, well, it's it's interesting. There, there's a lot of areas where there's kind of these weird zones. Um, like Ken Dodd, if, if you're familiar with Ken Dodd, he's like the god of box turtles, basically, yeah. right? Um, Dodd the god, I guess. Uh, yeah, but he. I, I visited his his, uh, his house with Chris Lekowitz a, a couple of years back, and he's like, "Here, look at this turtle, this box turtle that was found here in Gainesville." Like in mm-hmm. Gainesville, it was it was a major. It was it was a freaking major. And he's like, "Yeah, I've seen several of them like that here in Gainesville." So that phenotype, it could go as far as Central Florida potentially. I, I think you know it's obviously going to be more common up in the Panhandle, but I, th- I think there's weird ones that pop up. And are they true major? Are they? Mm-hmm. residual putnamai that are pop, popping up somewhere some putnamai genes who knows yeah. I, I just I, that's that's like my lifelong mission is i want to find the last putnamai mm-hmm. um and for those of you that don't know what putnamai are they're like a, a classically like gopher sword tortoise size box turtle they're extinct yeah. and they're about the size of a gopher tortoise they're you know big old yeah so, turtles, so. <laughs> well that's the thing so like you got the the gulf coast majors then you have like the louisiana like brown majors yeah. you know yeah the, the three oh, mixer majors <laughs> yeah yeah but uh the, the Gulf Coast ones are like way larger and they're like yeah. super dark. They get those white faces. Like, I'm not sure how that could be like kind of locality issue. Although I do know like with Anthony and the Asian species, you know, you get like the, the Japanese reasons are way larger than the yeah. Chinese reasons. They're the same. Those are introduced um, though. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, okay. But introduce. Yeah. Okay. I gotcha. Sorry, and just so everyone knows too, I apologize. It's Kevin's first night on the podcast, but the major oh. is the golf, the golf, golf coast box turtles. Yes, turtle golf jargon. Box turtle. The the Bowery is is the Florida box turtle. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is the same scientific name given to the three striped mud turtle, although spelled differently because the box yes. turtle only has one eye. Yes. E E I versus I. <laughs> right. Pronounced yes. E I Bowery. Yeah. yeah. No, Steve's saying no. Oh, Steve, he's, Steve, he's arguing. Steve's going wild. Don't get him started. Well, Don't get him started. It, 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 well, hang on. Let me ask this. Are you guys are you, are you guys Kelonian people or are you Chilonians? Kelonian. 
Thank you. Thank God. Yes, of okay, course. Good. That's, okay, that's, we, we can stay so, friends now. We can stay friends. So <laughs> Steve and I went all through all this like 12 years ago at nauseum. <laughs> Steve, Steve is trained in Latin, but then we also have the, the, the love of, of the turtles and, you know, going by the Latin name because that's the easier way to do okay. it. So if you're newer to this and you're like, what the heck are they talking about when they say Rizo, um, that would be a, a um, what is that? A keys terrapin? The, the terrapin from the keys? Yeah, that's the mangrove. mangrove. The yeah, mangrove terrapin. Yeah. Sorry. That's what the rhizo, the rhizo is. Call them rhizo. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but um, it's, it's easier mangrove. to go by scientific yeah. names. But the difficult thing is that we, we say about 75 of them wrong, but it's right. not anyone's fault. Like when you take a, a, a species and you name it after a German researcher and then give it a Latin ending on the end of the word, like how are you supposed to pronounce that? Um, yeah. Anyway. I'll get off that soapbox now, but uh, Kevin will so, do better in the future. So, so, so are they, are, so they're pronounced the same. So it's it's Bowery with one eye and two eyes are pronounced the same. No, he would say like at e or bar at e or something, right? What would you say, Steve? Tell me. We're, we're going to take us half a second break so Steve can talk to us, then we'll tell you. Okay, yeah. sounds good. Please hold with news from the, from your sponsors. Do, 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 do. Okay. Eh, the first eye is an eh sound. And then E or I, depending on the school of Latin. See? Yeah. Okay. And, All right, Steve. This, so is, this goes this back to the us. whole. Bowery, Bowery, I don't know. What is it? It goes back. He's still talking. Bowery. He's still happy. Okay. E. So, so what's happening here is the same thing we talked about with your students is that the more you learn, the more you realize how effed up the world is and <laughs> no, you realize no, yeah, yeah. you just want to go back to calling them Hamilton eyes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Which is the Indian spotted pond turtle. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Is it Hamilton eye, Hamilton E, Hamilton E. I'm just, I'm just going to stick with the eye. I'm just going to bow eye. Sorry, Steve. I do want to, for our uh, 26 viewers on YouTube, I do want you to know that uh, about five years ago, I didn't know a single scientific name. I, I really knew of like nine turtles, uh, mm. the stuff that I grew up around, you know, and it wasn't until getting in with the, the turtle room guys that I started doing more research and doing this. And now I, I like the same scientific names because I, I feel more important, even though I'm not, you know. <laughs> So you, you I can remember you saying back then, like, oh, I'm not really into scientific names. And I remember saying it myself. It's just something you say because you don't know them yet. But yeah, you, I didn't know them yet. And it, it's they, so funny, though, because there's a lot of, like, academic journals that are actually pushing more towards standardized English names with herps. Mm -hmm. So, like, I, I just had a paper um, that may be accepted pending pending revisions, which would be good, on snakes. Mm -hmm. I do a little snake stuff, fingers too. Crossed. Um, fingers crossed. Um, but, like, one of, one of the, the editor's comments, he's like, hey, you should – just go with the common name after first introducing it for the rest of the paper. I was like, Oh, that's interesting. Cause I usually abbreviate it as like first letter of the genus yeah. species. He says, I would, mm -hmm. I would go with the standardized English for, for the rest. I was like, Oh, that, that, that was kind of an interesting, refreshing take. I'd not yeah. really seen that before. So. I th I don't I don't li I don't like it, Jordan. I'm a Latin nerd it, at my heart. People. I've, I've been learning this stuff since I was, you know, in, in literally in elementary school, I had a book that had Latin names in it. My mom was teaching me dinosaur Latin names, you know, you know, which is common names for dinosaurs too, right? They're all Latin names. So like, mm -hmm. I've always been into that kind of stuff, but I'm, I'm just, I'm like, huh, it could be like, I think what Kevin was saying, it could be more accessible to people if, if it's, you know, Nerodia fasciata instead of that, it's, it's the Southern water snake. So yeah. it, it might be a little bit more accessible, but I'm yeah, always going to be a Latin nerd at heart. <laughs> well, what if the common I, name is Western Blackbridge 
leaf turtle then then th- you you write I out think- leaf turtle every time but then that just it gives you the sure. genius i, th- I right? think that's the idea though is that they're standardizing english names to make them more recognizable so like so like the southern water snake encompasses like all the subspecies that are there but the bandits the floridas etc so they're all the southern mm-hmm. water snake so it's kind of kind of more of a lumping system i guess but they're, but the ssar they're, they're standardizing english names i mean a lot of them make sense and i and i, and I can dig on them all right well, if the ssar is doing it i'm in yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but around the world you have different like people in in the uk just call all turtles terrapins right right that's like just what they're called right you know even over uh where you have like badigers you know there's yeah. terrapins they're yeah not, when, I, when I was in africa every turtle was a terrapin except for yeah. tortoises <laughs> yeah Kevin won't talk about turtles unless it involves the word terrapin. <laughs> Steve was holding wrong, up man. a book called Latin Names Explained. Oh, How good is I that? like it. This is this is the level of nerd you're dealing with. Yeah. Over can, there. Can, can, can you send me the link to that, or like, give me an? Because I would I would probably need that in my library. <laughs> That's a big book, man. It looks like it's about eighteen hundred pages. I just like it, it as a like reference. It'd be, it'd be nice. It'd be nice as a reference <laughs> just to have because I'm I'm a nerd oh like gosh. that. So <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah. We got uh, our buddy Greg says that common names are becoming a flaming train wreck at an Arizona rave. Which I find to be pretty funny. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel, Greg. Yeah. So it, it depends on, on whose common names you're talking about. I mean, I, I really do feel the SSAR standardized names are, are kind of shaping things up. But again, mm-hmm. you know, talking to people in Europe versus the United States when it comes to stuff, you know, you can get so many confusions because there's water snakes over there. There's grass snakes right. over there. So definitely uh definitely up to a lot of uh a lot of difference over there but what can you do interesting it's really interesting now you said you work with snakes too and i and i would be absolutely we would have to have you back for a second one for sure next month if i didn't ask you about this stuff so so you are basically you're you are 100 into reproduction i was going to call you like the turtle wow, gynecologist, wow, wow. which is so hilarious. so yeah so so in, in my grad school office I actually I originally had that but I was like I don't want to sound crude so I changed it to like colonian <laughs> sex therapist was like my label <laughs> on my office desk so <laughs> totally crude and inappropriate but, but, but yeah <laughs> uh, but yeah um, reproductive biology is uh, my jam um, that's I've been fascinated with reproductive animals since I was like in high school because like I, I had bearded dragons and, and when I was a freshman in high school and I bred them and I was like man. I just can't believe how many clutches of eggs this lizard is popping out. This is so freaking cool. And I can't believe like the intervals that between her clutches, this is such neat stuff. And I've, Oh, that's always kind of been in my, my mind. And I've kind of converted into a love of endocrinology um, because I mean, what, what controls sex, but the hormones. And, and that's kind of been one of my specialties in in recent years is, is specifically colonial endocrinology um, and looking at how endocrinology influences uh, sexual timing and reproductive seasonality and and species um, in several different parts of the range. So that's kind of my, my big, big thing that I'm focusing on right now. Now, are you focusing on a specific animal? Yeah. Yes. uh, Yes. And yes. Um, So, um, I've got, um, you know, not 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 to to brag, but you know, I got a couple of papers out there you can look up on a uh, on some terrapin. Uh, <laughs> Researchgate.net. Yeah, it's free on Researchgate, or I can email you copies. Don't worry about that paywall bull. Um, I got you covered. Uh, but um, uh, we, we've got a couple of papers. Um, I did uh, did one on terrapins uh, in in Florida and Southwest Florida specifically. Uh, working mm-hmm. with Chris Lekowitz, um, we we sampled diamondback terrapins during um, at least a portion of their typical nesting season, as well as in the winter time. And what we think is that there's an extended reproduction in the southern part of the range based on the hormonal um, 
uh, signature that we looked at. And that's how we measure it. We uh, take blood samples and we run either what are called radioamino assays, where you basically have a, a radioactive isotope that you mark your samples with and how high that is basically determines how high the specific hormone you're targeting is. Or you do what's called an enzyme-linked immunosorbent assay, or ELISA for short, which you basically have the, um, a specialized marker that um, binds to a specific um, chemical or whatever hormone you're looking at in the ELISA that kind of gives you a predicted quantity that's that's in the chemistry without getting too too crazy lab sciencey. Um, that's the main ways. But we um so I've done terrapins and I've got another again humble brag another paper on terrapins coming out from Louisiana. Um, we did it. We've done it in gopher tortoises down here in Southwest Florida with uh, one of my undergrad mentors, Dr. Phil Allman. You guys may have crossed paths with him at TSA. He did a lot of work with Canixies over in uh, in Ghana in West Africa. One of my my early mentors on the subject. Uh, so we put one out on gopher tortoises down here, and then right now we're doing it in the box turtles, and we're finding some wicked crazy stuff out. Uh, with the box turtles. And my ultimate goal is to do hormonal profiles of every turtle species that lives in South Florida. Because South Florida is uh, what we call down here different. Um, because no <laughs> winter. More so we're on the people too. That too. <laughs> there, there's no winter down here. There's no winter. Um, no brumation. Yes. They go inactive yes. for like a couple days at a time. So they can eat year round. They can acquire energy around what impact does that have on reproductive seasonality? Is there reproductive seasonality? So there's a there's a whole buttload of questions to get into with every species because they're all kind of different. Some of them are kind of the same. And that's kind of what I want my life's work to effectively be. Sure. Have you have you looked into differences in sexual reproduction as far as like how old they're I mean, it's based on size, not age. Age, right, right. Like it, yeah. That's that's definitely something I want to look into. That's a little bit harder because number one, you got to find a bunch of juveniles, and then you got to find them again mm -hmm. when they're adults. Yeah. But in the box turtle population we're working at, that's possible. We have like thirty recaptures of juvenile turtles, which is okay. like wow. apparently unprecedented. Unprecedented um, for for yeah. box turtle for, work. For, or... Yeah. For for for, yeah. for Florida box turtles, I know for specific, specifically, I don't know as much of the literature of like the eastern box turtles, but we're we've got growth data over a year now, and and we 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 found some turtles last year that didn't have any really secondary sexual characteristics. Now all of a sudden they've got a little indentation in their plastron. We're like, mm -hmm. it's a boy. This is great. So we're actually seeing when maturity may hit, but also down here, you know, it, it, there's, there's not really that winter, like, you know, growing season. So you can't like count annuli on the scoots to age them because yeah. they're just, they're growing perpetually year round because they don't mm -hmm. go inactive. So they may, it's very likely that they're maturing faster down here. I would, I would almost guarantee it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But hopefully we can, uh, we can show that because I'm taking blood samples from any turtles that are around um, 100 millimeters in carapace length, trying to convert that to inches. But, and then that will help us mm -hmm. kind of look at when those sex hormones get high enough, that's an indication of sexual maturity. Um, so we can almost kind of map that out, which will be really interesting. Now, are you that's, testing? Go ahead. I was going to say, can you test that on, or is it the same markers on every single species of turtle, or do you have to like adjust it to like the, when you are, you have to so, figure that out? So, so there's, there's key uh, hormones you look at, and they're actually the same hormones that do most of the work in human bodies. Um, testosterone, big mm -hmm. male androgen, also prominent in females uh, for ovarian development. Um, estradiol 17 beta is the, um, is the main female sex hormone, same thing in, in humans. Um, progesterone, P4. Same thing in humans. We, we, those are kind of the main targets. Um, my graduate advisor, um, he's a sea turtle guy, but he's, he's, his lab developed an assay to look at a reproductive 
protein that's filled in the eggs called vitellogenin. That's what basically makes up the predominant egg yolk protein in eggs. Um, he looked at, he developed a, uh, a, a, a an enzyme, um, ELISA, that can predict the quantities of that circulating in blood plasma of turtles. And that can be an indicator of reproductive because if they've got a lot of vitellogenin, that indicates they're going to be able to deposit that into eggs. So that can be used for reproductive timing as well. But all of them correspond to one another. There's a lot of cascades and chemical uh, formulas and pathways that connect all of those together. Um, and, and it's just really interesting to see how they network and, and trigger these different events. And it's been really cool to, to work on. Your students are so lucky. It's crazy. Let, let me, uh, stop. Let me, oh, stop. <laughs> can, can I just say that's the coolest thing? Because for, for an article that I wrote on um, a method for keeping neonate box turtles specifically, but also some of the, I would say like non-sun worshipping turtles too, like like exclude your sliders and your painted turtles and things like that. And your brat to me like, and those kind of guys, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but things like, like wood turtles and... <laughs> Um, some of the Asian leaf turtles and 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 the core of the Asian box turtles and even even though they bask a lot bland, young Blandings turtles like research gen, in general and there are several researchers who say it right in their research where they've they've had these uh, studies for years and years sometimes decades with some of the box turtle studies that they just talk about how they're devoid of neonate and juvenile data because they're just not finding them because they spend all their time hiding they they're in wet muck all the time yeah. and the thought of bright sunlight would be entirely um uh, uh threatening to them and stressful for them so the fact that you're finding them at your study site just like gets me all excited about what you got here and, and it's really cool because it's it's really funny because i've heard from captive keepers of box turtles all about the way they keep them we keep them we keep them in like basically aquatic grow-up tubs right mm -hmm. and the places we're finding the predominant number of these box turtles are aquatic habitat these these hatchlings they're living in fully aquatic habitats in the wild yeah. and i'm like wow so there's a link right there between captive and and and, and wild stuff right there i think there's a lot that the researchers can learn from captive uh, uh, associations because, I mean, the detailed records that some people keep of growth rates, of yeah. of food preference, even that could definitely lead to clues to to where we can look for and target uh, in wild populations. And that was that was one of the coolest things that I saw. I was like, okay, they're using microhabitat that basically looks like those little grow up tubs that they use at like the TSA Survival Center. They're using yeah. that in the wild. The coolest freaking thing. It was, it was right. so mind-blowing. Yeah. But so interesting for future research. I'll be quiet, but because I, I, I don't want to take away your opportunity to write a paper about that, but, but <laughs> you're finding neonates and juveniles and no one else is. Like, that's yeah. crazy cool. Yeah. Yeah, we've, we've probably got close to 50 in, in, a, in, in, less, in a year, about a year's wow. time, which is- Steve uh, can wow. tell you how excited we get when, yeah. when at one of our study sites, they find a, a young wood turtle. Yeah, it's yeah. The it's, thing. And, and the, the, the recapture stuff is the, the craziest because when you see hatchling turtles, you expect, oh, this turtle's dead. You know, <laughs> I'm going to see it now and I'm never going to see it again because something's going to eat it. But we've caught, mm. um, not maybe not all of the, the, the hatchlings and neonates, but we've caught several um, that are probably maybe yearling turtles. Um, and we've captured mm -hmm. them multiple times, some of them um, hundreds of yards away from where we originally saw them. So we think there may be a little bit of a, a switcheroo. There's like a microhabitat. They grow up a certain time in, and then they disperse. Uh, so the next step is hopefully getting some micro radio transmitters to put on juveniles so we can track their dispersal. Huh. That's the hope. So, so. <laughs> so two-part question for you. Uh, 
Actually, just two questions, not two parts. Okay. Uh, the first question is, you were discussing, you know, tracking data and whatnot, right? Yeah. So what are you guys personally using to track that data, you know, when you take measurements and whatnot? So, so home range is kind of the big thing um, that we do. So we actually have radio transmitters attached mm -hmm. to, uh, to our turtles. Um, and we go out and manually find them with a telemetry device twice a week um, to kind of just get at least minimum uh, home range estimates with these things called minimum convex polygons that basically connect like the forest perimeter points at like an angle less than 180 degrees and they make a, a geometric shape. And that shows you the minimum amount of space that an animal uses based on all of your, your data points. Um, okay. So we, we, we use telemetry um, and then we just do what we call meandering surveys um, and they're exactly what they sound like we go and meander around the <laughs> habitat around, yeah. until you trip over some turtles and that's how we kind of okay. just collect our individuals um, um, to look at population estimates um, morphological data how big they are um, we're doing some some dietary studies as well um, mm -hmm. which is really cool. We're finding um, maybe they're a dispersal agent for some invasive plants down here. We're, we're looking to look into that, which is really interesting. Um, yeah. And we're, we're um, yeah, we're, we're basically all of the old school life history data that you could collect from a species. That's what we're doing. Um, so, so many things these days, I think, are geared towards like the omics and the molecular biology. And obviously, being a reproductive biologist, I'm into some molecular stuff. But I think there's a lot of love lost for natural history information. And that's mm -hmm. arguably more important, and I think, in terms of conserving animals. And that's not to say that genetics and omics aren't an extremely important tool for conservation. But understanding how an animal interacts with its environment, I think that's imperative for conservation success. And that's what our goal is, is we want to know everything about these animals. And we never will, but that's our goal, is to learn everything yeah. about them and these habitats to further protect them. The more we know, the better we can protect them. So that, that bring, that's perfect. That brings me to my second part of the question or the second question. And it's like I'm a professional. Me, huh? I, yeah, you're good, man. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> you're super modest, too. I love that. I love I'm, that. I'm, the, I'm the most modest person I know. Uh, most, most gingers are. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hey, uh, hey. Oh. Some of us don't like the G word. <laughs> I apologize for my derogatory <laughs> statements. Uh, yeah, so uh, back to that question. Um, are radio transmitters like the best way that just seems really antiquated and old? Like, can there be some kind of like literally micro, like very small GPS tracker that you can see the actual patterns that they're walking? That, that, that's a great question. Um, so, so we actually just got a grant from the Cincinnati zoo. Um, do you, if you folks might be familiar with Ryan, Ryan Dumas, uh, at, at the Cincinnati mm -hmm. zoo, I think he's part of like the Kinesis working group and he's a, he's a great captive keeper. Um, he, he approached me social media. He said, Hey, my zoo wants to support conservation projects. Your project looks awesome based on your photos. It's exactly the words you use, of course. You know, I'm not paraphrasing at all. Um, but he said, hey, your project looks like a great one we'd want to support. Um, so he, um, he reached out to me, and they provided us with a, a conservation grant for, for um, GPS transmitters. Um, yeah. so, so, so they actually make GPS transmitters that are small enough to fit on box turtles and gopher tortoises and wood turtles right now um, and not take up an overall large mass of the shell. Um, are you, are you guys still, still hearing me? The, the, the screen's kind of staticky. I'm just making sure you can yeah, see Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, yeah. okay cool. Just make sure my connection's still good. I can um, great, yeah. Yep. But they're, um, but they're, they're, uh, roughly the same size as radio transmitters. Um, maybe just a smidgen bigger, uh, but they can log data every hour or more okay. depending on battery life, how much battery you want to ex exercise, but you can basically get a, a data point every hour for every day 
for 30 days before you have to recharge the battery. Um, the only problem is, is you got to be able to recover the, uh, the, yeah. the GPS to, to upload data. So we're going to use those in combination with uh, radio telemetry tags. We're going to put both on and um, use the radio telemetry tags basically just to refine the turtles to upload the data. Um, so sure. we're going to be this summer, we're going to be putting those on. And as technology keeps getting smaller and smaller, the hope is, is that, you know, we're going to be able to get really hands off with a lot of this stuff in the future. Um, yeah. The um, the Georgia Sea Turtle Center and, and the Orion Society and um, uh, there's another group out of Georgia, the Applied Wildlife Ecology Lab there are doing a lot of projects that actually got solar GPS transmitters mm -hmm. that get charged by the sun. So you don't even have to worry about battery charging. Yeah, which is just there anyway. the freaking coolest thing on the planet. Like, I mean, technology <laughs> is making things so like on the table now, I mean, I'm sure they're expensive for someone like me right now, but eventually that's going to get to a price where I'm going to be able to afford it. And, um, and that's just going to open up a whole new world of data collection and in terms of uh, what we do. So it's, so it's really Jordan, cool. I'm in the telecom industry. I, I manage T-Mobile stores oh, and awesome. uh, the big thing right now is 5g. That's what's like rolling around, yeah. you know, and the, the potential advancements it's going to cause or yeah. create, I should say, you know, yeah. and, Theoretically, it's all theoretical at this point, but right. within the next two to three years, you'll probably have stuff like if it's targeted for that, that will blow your mind, man. I'm and I'm like, I'm so here for insane. it, man. I'm so here for it. You know, even right now, you can get like even you can get like uh, one of those little tiles, they're like the size of a quarter, yeah. right? Those things so, have a battery life over yeah. a year. Yeah, we you know, we, you we actually got so, your own. So funny you say that we don't put them on turtles, but we put them on our field equipment, like our calipers. So if we okay, leave it, yeah, we're yeah. like, oh, I gotta go find my calipers. Yeah. Like, Why we can just ring it. And you can just hit your phone. Yeah, exactly. And the exactly. Like, where is yeah. it? It's over yeah. there. You know? No, like honestly, like I've, I've considered. I'm like, okay, these are pretty lightweight. I don't know how waterproof they are, but I want to stick one on a juvenile turtle. Because if they're if they're occupying really minuscule home ranges, like I think they are at certain life stages, maybe the tiles can be a good temporary dispersal mechanism. Mm -hmm. So maybe I just need to, to invest in a couple of those twenty dollars tiles and see oh, how it goes. Reach out to me first. I might be able to get them for you at a discount. Oh, okay. Hey, look at look at this connections right there. This is this is what it's not, all about. Not big, but I get but like a little discount. On like any stuff, any so any discount is good for you know <laughs> for for, yeah. for professor. We we don't make quite the big bucks. We make enough, enough the big bucks. <laughs> sure, yeah. You just have to list uh, Kevin as like the last author on the paper. There, hey, I, and you know what? Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people that are like, like oh, I, I don't like to you know, add authors to my papers. Animals, like anybody you know? that helps with my research, and yeah. I say my research, but our research, right? Yeah. If if you contribute, you know, you're on the freaking paper. I, I'm I not sh shy or selfish about that. Like I, col collaboration is how stuff gets done. Keeping yeah. stuff and hoarding it to yourself, yeah. that's not that's not that's not how it should be done. Um, and and there, there's a, I think there's a lot of old school scientists that are very protective i mean obviously we're all protective of our sites and things like that but they're protective of, of sharing the wealth and and and, I, and i'm not not that way i want to include the next generation i want to include the upcoming students and and get people out there and i want to include other people too so yeah i'm not i'm not shy I'm, i have no issue with adding another author we could have 40 authors on a paper who cares <laughs> okay awesome. if, if, if they're uh, all as long as they're all contributing yeah <laughs> Uh, I got two questions for you from uh, people in the chat. Sure. Um, they're kind of the same question, and one of them was already answered. So kind of, I think it was answered. So I'm going to start with this first one. Uh, it's from Charlie Moorcroft from the Moorcroft Conservation Foundation, sure. our buddy. Uh, how large is an average range of the Florida box turtle? Great question. Um, 
we don't know yet. <laughs> um, we're still working okay. on that. Um, uh, Chris Lekowitz is working on a similar population, so he's got some data and he's got some pretty wide ranging data. But I'm not going to spoil his his surprise stuff. Um, but um, one site we work at is restricted by um, by barriers, like they can't mm -hmm. freely leave this area because it's it's like preserve land. So there's fence along the borders, so that okay. has inhibited their range. Um, so most of them are somewhere around like one to two hectares, uh, somewhere in between that much uh, in that, that space. What, what's a hectare? A hectare is a unit of measurement, and I cannot think of the, of, of the uh, exact co comparison for, for acres off the top of my head. Um, somebody do the, the analysis for me. I, I just gave a I'm talk on it, it right the other now. day, and it just slipped my mind about what the, what the acreage and the square mileage was. I literally converted it, and it's blanking right now. One hectare is hectare is two point four seven acres. Okay, there you go. So, um, you know, one to two hectares gives you about double that in, in acreage. Yeah, five so, acres. Yeah, so that's that's, yeah, that's that's a pretty that's pretty good amount of movement. Yeah, but based off of like the misinformation you hear online that a boxer has like a one mile one range, mile radius, know, like, right? Yeah, and, but yeah, so you know? that's the maximum that we're seeing with minimum convex polygons. Most of the turtles we're seeing have moved less than like two hundred feet in the year that we've been tracking them. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, yeah, yeah they're, I mean, they're, if the food source is there, what's the point? Right. But then there's one or two that are like, okay, we're here, we're here, we're here for six months, and then we can't find them. We're like, mm -hmm. And then a quarter mile away, that animal has moved. We're yeah. like, oh, my God. So so I, I, I think that whole, like, you know, you see that Facebook post, never move a box turtle because, you know, you're, you're moving it out of its, uh, its home range. Um, well, I, I don't think that's entirely, I mean, I, I think the overall, sent, uh, like, you know, it, yes. it's meant to be a good thing you know yes. don't don't take the turtle home basically yeah um, move it if you can but if if that turtle's in an area that's completely developed maybe finding the closest patch of scrub habitat would be would be a good thing nearby as long as you're not taking them like 20 miles out of the way um a lot yeah. of times those turtles are probably going to be fine and, and will probably reestablish home ranges um but it's it's obviously there's so many variables that play to it but yeah, their their home ranges are, are still pretty variable, and we're definitely seeing there's a seasonality component to it. They move a lot mm -hmm. more in the wet season um, because we know down here in South Florida, we don't have fall, spring, winter, summer. We have summer and slightly cooler summer, basically. Um, <laughs> but but so you we got like a week of like 20 degrees, 30 degrees. It, not down here, man. It didn't get below 40 down here. So, no. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. It's, it's a it's blessing. Below 40 up here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so so they definitely seem to move during rainfall peak periods more than the dry season, um, which would make sense. More food availability as stuff gets growing, maybe more interactions with females. But um, one one spoiler I'll say is we found them breeding in every month of the year. So we found in nice. courtship courtship every month of the year, um, which you know isn't unexpected of males, I guess. So yeah. yeah opportunistic and then yep. you know at any point during the year down there it's going to be warm yeah especially exactly. during the day they bunker exactly. down for the night and then the sun comes out and it yeah, warms it was, up and it, we, had, we had a little cold snap come through it was 52 this morning um but by, by the time we finished surveys today um we were on the field today actually um it was like 78 degrees and sunny so it was like perfect turtle weather and they were all out moving after they'd been buried all day so oh i'm not going to say anything this is a family show i'm not going to tell you what i think about you right now <laughs> Y'all, okay. y'all so, are okay. pretty familiar with Jordan Gray, I assume, right? Yeah, of course, yeah, of course. Yeah, I, um, that's that's I, another one of his main crushes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jo jo well, Jordan Gray's. I mean, is that not just the most handsome son of a gun on the planet, right? 
God. I know. Good looking fella. I but, but, but I, 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 I send him, uh, send him texts just to make him angry. Sometimes I feel like kisses from sunny Southwest Florida. And I'll send him a picture of me with like 10 box turtles, in my hands, you know, in the middle of winter, <laughs> just, just to let him know you may, may know, know more about turtles than me. You may be more handsome than me, but look what I'm doing right now. Just, just to, to humble him a Dude, little bit. Jordan. <laughs> You're using the eye of the beholder, and in my eyes, you're Irish, so you're gorgeous. Hey, I appreciate it, buddy. I've been doing this show for what, like four years now, Anthony? Yeah, and, something like that. Yeah, and I think my wife has watched like three times, and tonight's <laughs> one of them, you know? And she wanted me to post out when I said I wasn't Italian. She wrote to my aunt, she texted me that your wife is Italian AF. So there you go. To know that I, uh, my kids are now Italian. I guess I nice. forgot all about that. Nice. So you he do have a little Italian. culture in you. <laughs> <laughs> Not all just potatoes over here, you know. I refer to Kevin as the type specimen because he's just like regular white guy. He hates that and loves it at the same time. That's I can say because I'm big, so you know. Very yeah. Good. Yeah. I went bald at 25. I got psoriasis. I'm nobody's type hey. specimen. There you go. Oh, okay. God. TMI. <laughs> TMI AF. It's psoriasis. It's like right here. It's just this dry skin, man. Yeah. Happens to the best of us. It happens don't, to the best be of us. Can I ask a question? Can I ask one more question? You're having I'll allow it. let's let's bring bring it away from let's let's bring it away from the disgusting TMI stuff. And and so you you mentioned um you, one of your mentors in your graduate work work that he did in ghana i know you've been to ghana i assume that that's related also yeah. costa rica so you've got experience in other places you're so excited about the work you're doing now are you more are, are, do you see yourself as the type who eventually wants to get out and really spend a lot of time traveling and seeing different places or is I, it more important for, to you to continue to, to develop what you're setting up right now in beautiful South Florida, a place that people in other parts of the world wish they could get to for research. Yeah. I mean, I'm living the dream down here, man. The like, answer is both. It's, that's, it's, it's, it, that's exactly what it is. It's, it, the answer is both. Um, but why would I want to give this up to go somewhere else? Mm-hmm. Obviously, if an opportunity arose where it was feasible. And, and a big thing about um, working abroad is that what I really want to emphasize is that there's often sort of the stigma that you know white american dudes go over to foreign countries they try to do a research project and they're not inclusive of the actual people that live there and mm-hmm. i hate that i really hate that because what what's what's the point of of starting an, an established research project um over there if if the people aren't going to be involved um and i never want to be that 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 scientist that goes over there and is like this is how you should do things because i'm from america and i know better no that should never be how it is um if the opportunity came to work with people on the ground over there absolutely i would love to but i don't want to um i i don't ever want to to like be be one of those guys and i don't mean to call out you know anybody specific but you see a lot of like animal personalities on some of the big networks that sometimes do that kind of stuff. And I, and I don't want that to be the case with me. Um, the good thing is I've made a lot of good connections with people um, in those countries where I can either tag on with some of the work that they're doing, or we can develop projects together. And that that's a big thing that that's really important to me. Um, for instance, I'm actually going to be working on a potential Costa Rica study abroad course working um, here in, in the future with a, a, a a, f- a friend of mine who came into my advisor in grad school's lab 
after me, but we we kind of started discussing things online, and he's got a research program in Costa Rica right now, um, just right for the picking permits to, to work with any animal down there. So we um we we may be doing some some cool stuff with like a study abroad course and, and maybe some long term studies down there if if things with the pandemic pick up. Hopefully, that's the mm. that's the hope. <laughs> Roughly, where in Costa Rica? Sure. Uh, it's sure. Uh, Caribbean soap, um, Caribbean soap mm -hmm. area. Um, I, I worked there for for uh, like like four months um, doing. Um, I don't like to, to talk about it, but I, I did sea turtle stuff. You know, you know, mm -hmm. sea, sea turtles are. are <laughs> I try I try to keep it on the DL that I, I once so did. Much. I did work with sea turtles because we, See, we all they're beautiful. Yeah, they, they're beautiful, but they're they're basically glorified marine mammals. Um, yeah. They don't like a lot of the sea turtle people. No offense, and I, you know, all my sea turtle people I know I got mad love, but I pick on them all the time. You know, a lot of them, they sea turtles are not really thought of as like the rest of the turtles. Like, you can't look at a mud turtle and then see a sea turtle and think, oh, yeah. these are these are relatives, even though phylogenetically they're like very closely related, the two. Um, but uh, yeah, I did, I did, I did sea turtle work down there for for like four months. Um, and and uh, on one of the classic nesting beaches in Tortuguero, um, where mm -hmm. Archie Carr, you know, kind of started mm -hmm. turtle conservation, basically, mm -hmm. which was fantastic. And this area is kind of in a similar region of there, but there's cooler turtles, I think, there. You've got the rhinoclemmy species over there, um, two different rhinoclemmies at least. You've got the mm -hmm. the weird Central American trechemy species down there, which is really cool, as well Durbingi? as... Uh, Durbingi? Yeah, I think it's Dorbingi down there. It's it's or maybe Venusta. I can't remember which one it is because all that taxonomy kind of changed since I've been down there. Um, and then they've got the the, the crazy cool kind of sternins down there, like the scorpoides and Leucostomum and things like that. So, um, as well as like uh, South American or Central American snapping turtles, acute rostris. It's just so freaking cool. So there's lots of really cool turtle work to be done down there. So I would really love to start some long term relationships doing work uh, in those regions. Yeah, really that's awesome. You don't take credit for the local people who show you where the turtles are. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. I love that so much. What's the word for that? What is? Is that umbrella something? There, so there's an article that just pa came out talking about parachute, basically how his show. It's yeah. It's parachute. Parachutes conservation or parachute ecology parachute. or something like that. Yeah. Where where you yes. you, you you know where so someone you're basically is going into those areas. Yeah. Yeah. You say, hey, I'd love to come out there, and they show you great hospitality, and then you publish a show that barely shows their left yeah. wrist in one yeah. shot. Exactly, which is – Take credit for bogus. all your knowledge, and exactly. they showed you everything. Or um, you, Kevin is typing that I'm going bold. It's the, it, it's the lighting. No, in not, going not, bold. Thank you. You're, not you're going bad. Your connection's screwed up. <laughs> yeah. I said you look like you're on a flip phone video right now. Oh, he wrote bad. <laughs> oh, Okay. You're, I thought yeah, he said yeah. I'm going bald. No, I'm bald. I see that I'm frozen. Can you hear me? We can hear you. Fine. We can hear you. Can you hear I can at least. Oh, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. That's all right. It's okay. Whatever. Yeah, you know we're gonna wrap it up anyway. anyway you know? But sure. um, Forrest Galante, if you're watching, Forrest Galante, if you're watching, we want to have you on the podcast. <laughs> so, so you yeah, can defend your, to, right? your parachute. Yeah, he was supposed to, right? You got up there for a while. Well, they. Yeah, right, he got bigger. Now maybe we can catch him on the downswing. Yeah, no, he seems like a nice enough guy. Like I didn't mean to call him out personally. He seems like a nice enough guy, but I, I, I you didn't, you yeah. didn't call him out. I did. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I brought and up it's the subject. Love. It's, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's nothing. Yeah, yeah, this is a platform for people to to come on and yeah. and to share their views. So 
if anyone's out there who doesn't like the way that we've ever mentioned them, then come on and talk to us about it. Yeah. So yeah, you can come on and make fun of me being bald. Can you guys hear me still? Yeah, we got you. Hey, so I'd like to take this opportunity. We should end the show. Kevin, do you need to do this or should I? No, no, I want to, I can end it. That's no problem. But I want to end it first with our monthly dad joke of the month. So this was sent in from the man behind the curtains, Steve Enders. Yeah, this is, this is for Michael out in the chat. Hopefully he's still out there. He's been waiting for this for a month now. Uh, okay, Jordan, I'm going to let you answer this if you, if you have the okay. answer for it. We'll see. How much room does a fungus so need to grow? As much room as possible. Boom! Boom, let's go! <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can say that's not, you know, like a logical joke, but uh, I have minority that eat mushrooms, so yeah. it's connected. There there's, there's a connection, absolutely. Yeah, that's it. That's all we need. Yep. Uh, I, I... That's it. Dad jokes and turtles. Good. That's what South Florida yeah. does. Yeah, absolutely. I um, I um, I totally uh, I, I make my students. I force my students to listen to dad jokes on almost every lecture. Um, so favorite, and, and and then I I I you know if they don't laugh, like oh maybe if I explain it to you again, it'll it'll make more sense <laughs> because that makes more funny. And and the more groans and cringes I get, the better it is, of course. <laughs> mm-hmm. Jordan, are you a dad? So funny you ask. I'm about to be. Congratulations. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We, we just announced it online. So I guess it's, it's cool to talk about here. But yeah, we've got a baby girl due in July. So very awesome. excited. We all got daughter. Girls, so. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. I'll have to, I'll have to ask like her some dad tips. Yep. I'm going to um, be, a, be, be a girl dad. I'm very excited. The only dad tip you need is to know that everything's just screwed. You're in trouble. <laughs> well, that's fine. <laughs> my life is manic anyway, and but my yeah, wife is awesome. So, so I think I think we'll amazing. get through. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Uh, Beautiful I know chaos. Got one more thing you need to say. Yeah, if you can hear me, let me know at any point if you can't. But first of all, Jordan, I can't thank you enough, man. I I could talk to you like forever, Sounds infinitely. Good. You are you are so interesting to me, and so many of your takes were just. Uh, really similar to how I feel, except more, um, uh, more effective in getting them across. I don't know, but you're just, you're fun to listen to. You're, you're brilliant. And you're, I can't wait to see where you go. I put you in the running with people like Jordan Gray and, and Grover and, and other people who are doing amazing work. And don't, don't compare me to be, Grover Brown. You know, that guy's so a legend. To, Grover is a legend, I will. man. I will. I will. I'm not in that category yet. Looking at people who are, <laughs> Yeah, I, man. I put you there. You can be there. I'm not saying you're him, but that, <laughs> but I put you in the conversation. Um, so uh, I can't thank you. We end here. Um, I, I just want to to remind people the Turtle Room right now. Um, we have a, a donation to bill um, on our Facebook. If you're if you're willing to support the cause, um, we're working on some really exciting things right now. Uh, you could check it out at theturtleroom.org. Um, and like I said, check out that appeal on. Um, on the Facebook as well. Um, Jordan, is there, is there anywhere that people can go to support your work? Yeah. Um, if you just check out, we got an Instagram page, Southwest Florida turtle projects, uh, S W F L underscore turtle underscore project on Instagram. Um, we, we have there, we, um, we do have a GoFundMe. Um, we, we'll we put a link be, to it in this chat. That'd be cool. Yeah. So we're, we're probably gonna be taking that down shortly. Um, just because, um, uh, you know, the school's actually, you know, been very financially supportive, a lot of stuff, but, um, we've gotten a lot of, of, of activity actually in the last 
week for for whatever reason a lot of people were like hey we like what you're doing we like seeing you know what our dollars go to the research wise and and it's been yeah. very cool but we do have that so anybody that feels uh uh generous we, we will accept it <laughs> the link for anyone that's uh watching the link is now going to be in the youtube chat so if you want to donate to jordan's cause uh that's actually a weird link so i'm gonna have to redo it it'll be there in a minute <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Thanks, Kev. I was just going to give you a, a virtual high five for great work. No, I got you. But thanks, guys. <laughs> thanks, everyone who tuned in. Um, we'll see you next time. You know, the podcast is um, live the first Monday of every month, there we go. unless there's a holiday. And um, yeah, we look forward to seeing you guys next time. Jordan, look forward to seeing you next time. We have Definitely. you on. It won't be next, next month. But next at month. Some yeah. point, we're going to have to have you. <laughs> well, listen, and, um, I think. This is what I think. I think next month Chris will be back. You guys can just do a full snake talk. He's out there in the he's out there in the field now with snakes all day. There you go. That sounds good. Don't remind me. <laughs> Don't remind me. <laughs> he's 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 visiting Florida right now, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah just go pop. Oh, yeah. so that's not really he's Florida, not Florida, Florida right, right. Disney, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you saying Disney's its own enclave? It is. It is. Have you ever Christmas. been? Yeah. I've been to Disneyland. Not, not okay. World. D- Disney World. It's yeah. It's it's another place, man. <laughs> yeah. And we all have to know about it because we're girl dads, all of us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so funny. I was when I was on TTPG live stream. We were talking to Russ about it. He's a girl dad, and Chris is a girl dad, and who else? Everyone's a girl dad. Everybody. That's awesome. I don't know, it just feels that way anyway. Okay, I'll be quiet. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Appreciate you. Till next time. Thanks for having me, everybody. Yeah. Bye, guys.